Welcome to the Fan Engagement Chat, the episode of the Fan Engagement Pod where we chat with someone about their approach to fan engagement. This week we're chatting about access to and diversity in football with Anwar Udin who heads up the Fans for Diversity project with the Football Supporters Association. Anwar is one of the few people with his perspective, having played and coached before he went into the side of the business he is in now and he still coaches in fact. He was part of the Dagenham and Redbridge side that won promotion to League One in 2010, their highest ever position. He also played for Barnet and several other league clubs, including Bristol Rovers. We chat about his unusual journey and why he chose to work with fans. We look at the moral arguments for helping fans, all fans, access football and why also there's a financial imperative if they want to keep the turnstiles clicking and tills ringing. It's a really fascinating episode. From... Tuesday the 23rd, we're going to be publishing just one episode a month for now, where me and Baz Schneider talk about the practical side of fan engagement. We'll still be publishing the occasional chat with a guest about their approach to fan engagement, and you can access our nearly 70 editions via Apple Podcasts, Acast, or your favourite podcast app. You can also find out more about our work at fanengagement.net, where you can register for free and get access to the Fan Engagement Hub with more detailed data and case studies from the 2018-2019 and 2019-2020 Fan Engagement Indexes plus more. And please do like, subscribe and share. Please continue to do so. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. Enjoy the episode. kind of talking before we started um about um about kind of some of the minor parallels some people might chuckle at the idea that there are parallels between the two of us and what we've done but I think the reason I said it and I think you probably get this is that um we both come from non-traditional routes into if you like um the, the jobs we do um and sort of working with a ministry in, in your case particularly working with fans um you know lots of uh, people and I've probably said it myself in the past is would say that lots of players and managers often don't seem to understand the psychology of fans and I'm not always sure they get the time I'm not sure they're always given the opportunity um, and um, and it's an interesting change for you to make to go into that and to not go into the traditional sort of I mean albeit that obviously you do have a coaching role at, at Aldershot Town where you're um, assistant manager or is assistant manager isn't it yeah yeah um that you've retained that i think that's really good because that also obviously keeps you it keeps you embedded in the in the day-to-day um but yeah it's not a traditional route for an ex-footballer so what 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 on earth were you doing deciding to go and do this because it's different it's it's, it you know it's it's i make it sound like it's a bit it's just a bit strange i think people people go what's an ex-footballer doing working for the football supporters association albeit in a very niche area very specialist area tell us a little bit about that well, that's exactly uh, why I, I've been playing football since I can run on the streets of East London and I've played it. I love it. I've watched it. You know, I've, uh, I've been heartbroken by it. And when I retired at the age of 32, which is still relatively young in the grand scheme of things, you know, you're still a young person. But, you know, having had 17 years of playing and having a really bad injury, I, I needed to think about what I'm going to do next. The traditional route of ex-players is, okay, I know the game, get into the coaching world, maybe property, 
you know, do something that most football players do. However, I think there's so many unbelievable experiences and skills that players learn during their career that are transferable. And for me, it's about utilizing them in the right environment. And for me, working in football was a no-brainer because I've worked in football my whole life. Yes, it's completely different. Yes, football's more, you know, business-like now. You know, we're talking about a global industry. But ultimately, this is the industry that I know and love. And when I retired, I was like, why would I do something else? You know, I'm young enough to start a new career in the administrative side of things. But for me, my passion drove my decision. Because ultimately, when I was 17 years old, I signed for West Ham United in the Premier League. I did a press conference with Harry Redknapp. And I was asked on that press conference, Anwar, why is such a, such a lack of Asian players playing, coaching, watching in English football? 20 years later, in fact, this week, I've already been asked that twice. So it's a question I'm constantly asked every week for the last two decades. And when I retired, I thought to myself, I'm, 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 I'm being asked this question constantly. And when I am honest and brutal about it, what is being done about this? Not just the Asian specific, but these issues. And I thought to myself, well, obviously not enough is being done. And someone said, you know, if you want change, you've got to make the change yourself. So I decided to, to try to contribute towards that positive change. And yeah, you know, I volunteered for show racing red card and the PFA delivering education. And that led me to apply for a role at the FSF, which it was then. And I've literally loved it ever since, because like I said, yes, it's working in admin. Yes, it's working with fans. But ultimately, I think what we all forget is it's still football. It still evolves and revolves around that green pitch with that ball, three points on a Saturday, win or lose, World Cup, promotion, relegation. That's what it's all about. And like I said, I've been in it from the age of, you know, eight. So for me, it's about staying in it and actually seeing if I can continue to contribute towards it. And interesting, I suppose the thing for me, and it's, it's what I um, have spent a lot of my life doing, in football a lot of the time I've been in football well all of my time being in football is that the problem for me yeah it is all absolutely the, the same world if you like different bits of the same world but that actually the world of sort of fans in inverted commas the, in, the whole thing in inverted commas the world of fans and the rest of football um, and the sort of playing side administration side is often seen as divorced and very separate and it and it's that sort of you know I've spent a a 20 odd years, um, partly as an activist, most of it as a, um, you know, working for supporters direct, obviously, and then and, and all that kind of stuff. And now what I do, trying to bridge that gap. Um, but the issues are the same, aren't they? That, that, that there is um, a lack of participation at various levels of the game of you know, if you go to a town, I mean, if, you know, I'll re relate my own experience. If I go to Wimbledon, I, 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 I can only say this, I can't provide in-depth research, obviously, but I can say, I think with pretty decent certainty that those who attend the, the, the football will not be necessarily reflective of the local area. And it's not that you have to have a perfect reflection, but is there opportunity, you know, in, 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 and this is just in terms of fans, is there opportunity for those fans to access football? Do they feel like they can go? Do they feel like they're welcome there? Um, and then there's... That, yeah, go on. That, that there sums up kind of what fans' diversity is. So 
and I'll, and I'll talk to you about the campaign, but I'll talk to you about like a personal perspective. So I can tell you what the campaign is. Fans for Diversity is about making football as inclusive as possible, getting more people to watch football and making sure that environment is great. However, from a personal perspective, as you've given me your 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 one as a, as a supporter, I played at Bradford six years in a row when I was at Barnet and Dagenham. And Bradford, you, you, you turn up on the coach, 98% of a two-mile radius surrounding Valley Parade is Bangladeshi. I'm, my dad's from Bangladesh. So you go into an area that is... Bangladeshi shops, restaurants, community, and it's it's very much similar to like the green streets, parts of Luton, Birmingham, Burnley, Blackburn. But when I was in the stadium, literally, even in League Two, that club was getting thirteen to fourteen thousand fans per week, ridiculously well supported. And as a Bangladeshi player, listen, I'm no Lionel Messi. I'm an old school centre half. I used to kick people um, and enjoy doing it, but I was just amazed. I never saw any Asian faces in that stadium. Mm. I was amazed. And you talk about reflection. I don't think we're ever going to live in a utopia where the stands will reflect the city in which it lives because it just won't, that won't work. But I think it has to have a, a, represent, a representation, an identity that suggests I'm in Bradford, I'm in Luton, I'm at AFC Wimbledon, I'm at Plymouth, I'm at Blackburn. And literally, yeah, there'll be corners and free kicks where the board go off and I would scour the crowd having a look and I could never find someone. And I, I found that very, very disappointing. And when people say to me, um, well, why is there lack of... This is one of the reasons why. Because it's not just about playing. Listen, being a Premier League football player nowadays is bloody hard. But it's not as difficult to get a season ticket at Bradford or to turn up and watch a League Two, National League, Premier League game. So, you know, that's what I started to do. I, I had a chat with a local community who loved the game, but predominantly Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United supporters. And there was a disconnection. And I asked why. You know, they said to me, I'm over the years about bricks for our window, the racism, racist chance. So that divide has grown and developed over years. But football nowadays has changed for the better. So we started to get the community involved. One year turned into two. We created the Bangla Bantams. I think six years on, they've got 600 members. I think there's well over 100 season ticket holders. I've been to games at Bradford with elderly women in hijabs that are standing up singing songs on the cop. Now, for me, that, that is exactly why I did what I did. In fact, the last game I went and watched at Bradford with, uh, with one of the aunties, they played Rochdale away on a Tuesday night. And Rochdale scored and she got up and celebrated. And I was like, no, 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 auntie, what are you doing? She was like, it's a goal. And I went, no, 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 that's Rochdale. Like, we support Bradford. <laughs> but sometimes we take it for granted, don't we? Because if I said to you, right, we're going to go watch an ice hockey game tonight, I won't have a clue what's going on. And this so, is the thing, isn't it, right? When, 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 um, and we all, we all know, you know, the current climate we're in. There's a, there's a, there's a small but significant group of people who like to use these sorts of issues as ways of creating divides between people. You know, um, um, you know, the well-worn attempt. You know, frankly, confected culture war idea. And actually, it's a really simple thing that you're talking about because it's not about excluding someone else in order to include someone else. It's just about saying, well, if someone wants to turn up and watch something, they shouldn't be excluded because there's a there's a there's a sense of threat around the place, and and it's not even that that people don't like, you know, that for example, that it's necessarily about the songs. It everyone knows any any fan who has been regularly to football knows what a threatening atmosphere is like, and I've been into games, and I and I'll and I'll be honest, I went to one this season when Wimbledon played up at Arsenal where there were some Arsenal fans 
um, behaving in a pretty threatening manner and throwing stuff over the over the um, in, into us six seven thousand women and fans below. Now that's threatening and that's unsafe. That's threatening and unsafe for anyone. The fact that we've been regularly for years and years and years and we know this means we can sort of deal with it in a way. But I still come away. I got my little you know my ten year old boy with me. I'm thinking I don't want some bottle of frankly bottle of urine thrown on us or something like that because all the, we know the stories of these things happening. So we know what threatening atmosphere is like. It is just about saying, well, look, people should feel like they can come along without that, without the threatening atmosphere being something that puts them off. Sometimes there's the sort of the passion and the sort of, you know, sometimes there's that kind of visceral feeling in the ground because you're perhaps battling from one nil down and you're trying to get a goal back. That, that, that can sometimes feel a bit sort of on edge, but we don't, I don't mean that. I mean, the, the issue of threatening atmosphere that's the same for my son as it is for one of your one of these aunties one of these ladies who've never been women who've never been absolutely. to a game absolutely. same thing absolutely. and, and how are they gonna I, I suppose i suppose and i'll shut up in a sec but i suppose for me i got i you know i i come from a probably a bit like you know you i come from a, a originally people will chuckle at this idea these days but where i was brought up uh, 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 Wimbledon Park and the border of Earlsfield, about 15 minutes from 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 Plough Lane, was a was an old working class area, and going to football was something that was just you were steeped in. And my dad went to Chelsea and Fulham, um, born born in the in in, in the in, in, you know in 1942, went to Chelsea and Fulham. Eventually started going to Plough Lane because his mate played in goal. I went because he went, and we didn't want to go to Stamford Bridge because it was too dangerous. Um, to watch matches there you go there's a tale in itself and that, that's my entry into it and I've been fortunate blessed I might even say being a Wimbledon fan that I've been fortunate that I've got that journey that isn't the journey that everyone goes through anymore especially as populations have moved and shifted so if you don't open up and say we need to be open to these people and that example of Bradford is brilliant because Manningham is absolutely a Bangladeshi area I don't think people quite understand that it's going to need to reach out and it has understood that as a club so actually it's a real and it's a real positive isn't it and it this is the bit that I want to talk about is the stuff that you're doing that's yeah all the, the discriminatory review stuff we have to keep dealing with that but we also have to be showing how this is working and making the game more open and the connection between clubs and fans is being built with a new generation yeah no I agree I mean it's crazy because like some weekends, I genuinely, um, you know, I could be um, on the touchlines of a, of, a, of a game or I could be watching a game. I, I sometimes feel a little bit nervous because I might have put on an event where I've got maybe 100, 200 people going to watch a game for the first time with fans. I always make sure that nothing is ever done in isolation. I think fans at the FSA are our biggest resource, obviously. So if a new group go to Bradford, we'll get the groups in Bradford to, to, to go with them. But as you mentioned about your experience at the Emirates recently, what if I decided to do an event and that was the first experience of some people who have always been told in the 80s and 90s, football was barbaric and it was violent and it was this. And we're saying, yeah, it's come a long way. It still has its problems, but come along, embrace it. It's your local club. And they go and watch that game and they have bottles thrown over them. And that's their first experience. They probably won't go back again. So... It's a continue, it's a battle that we are constantly facing, but football fans can help solve that. And we, we touched on it earlier on. I think clubs 
don't realise what their biggest resource is, and it is fans. And, you know, sometimes an emergency needs to happen where you've got a player who's having a heart attack on the pitch for a player or a, or a, or a doctor or someone who's got the expertise to come out of the stands and save someone's life, which happened, I suppose. You know, and in non-league clubs, I speak to non-league clubs all the time about, you know, club development, stadium development. And I say, put a tweet out. You need a plumber, you need an accountant. Put a tweet out. I guarantee you one of your fans will go, I'll tell you what, yeah, I love the club. I'll come and do it for free or for next to nothing. And they always do. But I, I, it amazes me, especially as high as you go. It's almost like the fans are the fans. They turn up, they watch the game, they create an atmosphere. But that's them. Actually, they can do a lot more and contribute a lot more to the club. And um, just touching on your experiences about, you know, where your relationship comes from. You talked about your dad taking you and it being something in the family that's part of the DNA. I speak to a lot of fans and some fans just question, you know, why did a lot of these underrepresented communities support all these big teams? You know, why don't they support a local team? Well, they would love to. But if your relationship with football is based on the TV, because when my dad came over here in the 70s, there was no way he was watching a live game of football. In fact, he, he tried to stay as far away from West Ham and Millwall as possible. So his only relationship with football, which is the game he loved, was on Match of the Day every Saturday night. And on Match of the Day at the time when he came over to this country, Liverpool were on fire. And that was a team that he fell in love with because he developed his relationship yeah. via the television screen. And that's happening a lot. So younger, the younger generation of underrepresented communities that are not going to these games but love football, where's their connection? Their dad's not taking them. Their uncle's not taking them. Their, their mum's not taking them. And it, this is the thing, Anwar, right? This is where it gets to the nub of it, is we all forget, because it's layered over so much history in our families and, you know, so many years of going, we forget why, you know, I'm, a, I'm only a Wimbledon fan, really. Oh, it was my local club. I'm really only a Wimbledon fan because one day we went to watch Chelsea Millwall. This is how stupid my dad is. <laughs> Dart, honestly, thick as two short planks on occasion. <clears throat> Great man, but honestly, sometimes he needs his head examining. He decided to take us to Chelsea Millwall on Boxing Day in about 1978, when I would have been about six and my brother about nine, and got to the gate and realised it probably wasn't such a good idea because there was a fight. Obviously there was a fight. It was Chelsea Millwall in 1978, nine or whatever. And that was it. And we went to Wimbledon after that. You know, it wasn't it wasn't written in the stars, if you like. It wasn't I had, there was no there was nothing predetermined other than the fact obviously it was down the road. But my brother supported Ipswich on match of the day. That was his match of the day team. He was a Wimbledon fan because he could go with his mate Darren. And it was a safe place, relatively speaking, because it was Wimbledon, there weren't so many people there. And it wasn't as that it just wasn't that kind of place, it wasn't particularly dangerous. He went there with his mate. Now, there's all sorts of little things that happen there that if they don't happen, we don't end up as, as, a, as, a, as a Wimbledon supporting family. And it's just, we forget so much is accident of history and someone intervenes in some, we all look, we all start to tell ourselves that, well, it was written in the stars, you know, I'm just a Wimbledon. Yeah. No, you're not. You got taken. Someone made a decision. And it's no different from Anwar and his, and his fans for diversity group organising a, a trip for a load of people to go and watch a football match. It's just a slightly different way of doing it. So don't make out as though that isn't just doing the same and connecting people in a slightly different way. Yeah, it's listen, sometimes it is about manipulating a relationship because it doesn't exist. And what I would always say to football fans is, if you look at your relationship with football, what it gives you in your life, the fulfillment, the weekend activity, the friends, the social element, 
for a lot of football fans, it's, it's probably the most significant part of their life. If I said to you, there are some people who feel that they're not able to access that. They can't have that. They can't have the meeting up on a Saturday, traveling to the game, the euphoria when you win. They can't have that because they don't know how to. They don't have friends that can take them. And they'll never know what it's like to be 3-0 down and win 4-3 away from home. And I know that sounds mental, but if you haven't felt that, yeah. You never know. So if you never know, you don't realise. But we all know what it's like to have those days, those cup wins, those amazing away days. Some people can't have that because they're, it's not something they know how to. So if, I, might, I might add, Anwar, I might add the crushing disappointment as well. Yeah. <laughs> when there's highs, there's lows, you've got to take that because you know what the lows, listen, I've been a player for 20 years. I've been in management and coaching. There's more lows than there are highs in football. But what that does is, overemphasizes the highs because you know you could support a team that literally every year you're relegated every year you're getting you know battered by your rivals but there's that one year where you win that FA Cup that one year where you you, you get that promotion and that stays with you for like two three decades you end up talking to about it and your, your nieces and your grand your grandchildren are bored are you hearing about it? but that's what you hold on to that's what you hold on to but my point is that should be for everyone that the suffering should be for everyone. Everyone <laughs> should be able to suffer. Everyone should be able to pick a team. Everyone should have to go through this miserable yes. existence. Everyone should be able to, like, you know, um, move to um, Sunderland or West Brom and, 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 and yeah, and, and equally absorb the, the, the pain of relegation. But yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the point, isn't it? And I think sometimes yeah. a lot of these underrepresented communities, as well as individuals, can't really embrace the game like most others. And they want to, and they should be able to. And listen, people have different ways of doing that. So, you know, like, for example, if you're an LGBTQ plus fan and you try to maybe join a traditional fan group or you feel a little bit alienated, you don't feel quite supportive or confident enough. Are there people to go to in the club? Are there fans you can speak to? And I think we just need to start thinking about everyone and thinking about everyone's match day is different. Everyone likes to support their team differently. And I think if we're conscious of that and aware of that, mm. it's not just a traditional way. You know, everyone does things differently. And I think we need to embrace that because ultimately, if you're a Leicester fan, a West Ham fan, you're a West Ham fan. Now, whether you like to have a few beers before the game, whether you like to have a curry or pie mash before the game, whether you like to just turn up and go to the game and don't stand or cheer yeah. and sit down and embrace, however you want to do it, that's your way of doing something you love. And I think we need to embrace that. No, I think you're right there. I mean, that's one of the things I sort of love about, um, you know, about about going to football is there are weeks where I will have a drink after the game. Um, there are weeks where I will just go in and almost be anonymous and don't really want to talk to anyone. And I, there are weeks when I'm more focused on watching the game itself as a technical piece. And there are weeks where I'm more, more sort of making noise, you know, and singing with people and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, and that, that sort of, I suppose just it, I suppose the whole thing just, you know, there'll be these usual people running around going, you're just trying to change my experience. But in the end, the thing about tradition is tradition is created. It's made by people. It's confected. If you like people create tradition, tradition doesn't just descend on us like some kind of godlike substance or godlike presence. It, it's a thing that we create together and we'll do it in different ways. And I suppose quite often people get, you know, nervous about changes to, to what they 
viewers their traditions. And sometimes, you know, look, there were there were traditions, there were things that, are, that perhaps were traditions many, many years ago that become things that are just, you know, for example, you know, the differences in playing uh, between, you know, when you saw a breakaway, you know, when rugby union was created out of football, you know, there were traditions of the way people played the game of football that then became rules and became facts, if you like. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. We're not talking about changing the game. We're just saying people access it in different ways. And also populations change. People move away. People, I, you know, I haven't lived in southwest London uh, or I haven't lived where I was brought up uh, for since 1983 when I moved away. Yet my bond is so strong um, because of, you know, because of, because of some reason I've, I've bonded to that place. And football is a way I express my identity in that way. So all of these things are available to everyone else. They all happen to everyone else. And the traditions move on. I think when we're sitting in the middle of it and we're watching people, some people are watching others. I mean, challenge is an awful word because it's not challenging those traditions. It's, it's creating new ones and different experiences. They go, oh, don't mess with my traditions. These are my traditions. Well, they're not, mate. You're on this planet for 80 years. 90 if you're lucky and your traditions will go with you some of them might remain with your family other traditions and things will be created so I think the way you're putting it is a really lovely way it's you know it is it is about creating places for people to go and access what no, definitely and I think if you just think of it like this look the game has evolved right in terms of its finances in terms of its popularity look at the stadiums around the country now I mean they're they're, they're, they're amazing but tradition, I think, is tradition. And the whole point of tradition is that we, we embrace it, we remember it, and we, and we build on it. But we have to evolve with that tradition because if we do the same things, what, a traditional match day 20 years ago, if we did exactly that this weekend, it would be outdated. Some of the chance. You look at the amount of families that are now going to watch football. You look at the increase in women that are embracing the game the underrepresented communities, the amount of players that we have from all around the world. Like the game has changed and it's evolved. And it's just about making sure that, listen, I love how some of our traditions in this country contribute to the atmosphere, the animosity, the rivalry. I love that. And I would never, ever for one minute want that to change. But it has to evolve. It has to evolve. Because if it doesn't, every aspect of the game is changing except our tradition. It's about building on that tradition, yeah, yeah, and making yeah. it, making it, making it better for everyone. Because, like I said, no one is is saying that there's there's not one set way to be a football player, no. and that's what I think people t sometimes don't realise is that you know you grow up thinking right, being a football fan is if I want to love Arsenal, I have to love Arsenal and do this. You do what you want for your club, because everyone's love for their team is 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 is, is amazing, and they and everyone expresses that very very differently. And, I, and that's one of the beautiful things about you know, the job that we do, going around the country, watching football at different levels and seeing how different people are embracing the game, old, young, you know, and, and that's what it's all about. And for me, I just think it's something that I'd encourage everyone to do, even knowing there is a minority that are still causing issues. There is incidents that happen. All that being said, I think the majority of football fans in this country are brilliant and they're a great advert for the game. I think the game sells itself. And I'm not talking about Premier League. I'm literally talking about you can roll up to your local National League South side. 
you know, Maidstone United. I was at Maidstone United last night against Dulwich Hamlet. It's two, two and a half thousand fans there in the National League South. You tell me a country around the world that have step six football with over 2,000 fans. It doesn't happen. No, it doesn't bomb, happen. Bomb, isn't it? It's amazing. And obviously that makes it even more important that people feel they can access it because it isn't just some kind of small sectional hobby. Um, you know, this isn't, we're not talking about, um, you know, uh, um, you know, train spotting or something with the greatest respect to train spotters out there. <laughs> um, this isn't niche. This is something that, that is a really sporting sports clubs like that and football clubs, particularly are very important institutions locally. They matter a lot and people will access them in all sorts of ways and will be affected by them in all sorts of ways. And so they need to, you know, they need to be something everyone feels like they can be part of. Tell me something that... So I suppose the interesting bit is I, I mentioned before we spoke and I've done a bit of research a while back about all of this was, you know, and you mentioned Bangla Bantams and there's, there's the Punjabi walls and there are some other groups around. Um, you, I mean, it's hard. It, it must be hard. And it's not even necessarily the thing that need that, that fans who are, I mean, I'm trying to phrase this right. Cause you know, organised fandom does happen in some areas. If you're talking about, you know, I mean, I think sometimes it's a bit awful that we talk about, you know, minority groups as though they're some great big common lump because they're not, because we're talking about, you know, it might have something to do with sexuality, it might have something to do with, you know, the colour of your skin or where you're from, right? But when it comes to organising um, yourself sometimes, you know, sometimes it's necessary to do that or it's a useful way to get involved or speak to the club and get the club to listen to you it's not um when it comes to when it comes to to lgbtq for example there are and i've spoken to to the to the fellas at, at um at the leeds group leeds united group there's a lot of group, a lot of those groups but when it comes to to sort of of color and and where people are from you know like the bangla bantams or say perhaps black groups and you know things like that there aren't a lot of organised fan groups in those areas. Does that matter? Is it not, is it something that matters particularly for you doing the work you do, or is it more, uh, you know, actually, is it is it partly because the challenge is different? Because you know, perhaps gay people have you know have have had traditions in their family of of going to football. They stop going, or you know, and that actually it's a different order of problem if it's a colour. If 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 your colour is different then going to football and accessing it is a different challenge for you anyway. And that's why you haven't been. And then, do you know what I mean? So we're yeah, self-organising fan groups. Is, is, a, is It doesn't always work. And you mustn't always expect to work that way when you're trying to bring fans on board and get them involved. Yeah, no, most definitely. I think one, one thing people have to sort of identify and realise is that every club in this country is very, very different. So every single club will come with a whole different set of circumstances. So if... This week I had a meeting at QPR and we were talking about, you know, they've got at the moment 75% of their stadium is full. So they've got a part of their stadium that they'd like to fill. Someone like a Liverpool, May Night or Arsenal, they've got a waiting list where someone like Rochdale, someone like Birmingham, they've got stands that they want to fill. So every single club has a different set of circumstances. But in regards to the different groups, what we would always encourage is if someone wants to get more involved in fandom, in football. There are supporter groups at every single club. Go and join them, get involved. But for some people, they might see 
their group as having an added objective. So, for example, the Bangla Banners and Punjabi Rams, they want to get more of the community watching those teams. So they see themselves as a fan group, yes, but there's massive parts of our community that are not in touch with Derby or Bradford. We want to help the club get these people in the seat, in the seats, in the stadium and embracing football. So there's almost like an added objective. Now, if they joined a traditional supporters group, for example, that would be one of many objectives, but it probably wouldn't be a priority for some it may. So I think every single supporters group has their own set of objectives and circumstances. Like with the LGBTQ plus community, a lot of the fan groups, we're talking about fans that have been going for a long time, but probably want the environment to improve in regards to chanting, in regards to that feeling of being inclusive. So we're talking about fans that already maybe have season tickets, already have that attachment. But for some fans, like the Bangla Bantams, Punjabi Rams, Blues for All, Villains Together, these are, these are communities that love Aston Villa, but don't go because they're not quite sure it's safe. So there's, there's different reasons why different groups form, are organised. But ultimately for us, you know, if someone comes to me and says, Anwar, I see what you're doing. I want to get more involved in Leicester, in Aston Villa. You know, I don't say do this. I say to them, okay, what is it you want to do? Ultimately, you want to go and watch football, enjoy the game. But what they're saying is, yeah, but I want my friends to also come. I want people from the Asian, Black, Jewish community to realise that if they don't feel safe going or going to an away match, they can come with me. And that might make them feel a little bit better, make them feel more inclined to go. So, and it's about doing that. And I think over the last six years, we've created probably around 100 new support groups. But what that's done is that's contributed to thousands of people that are now watching live football. And for some, the first time. And for many, because it's just, listen, we all know that if you support a League Two, National League team, Tuesday night, nil-nil, mid-table clash, it's not really going to sell itself. That being part of a group, part of a family, meeting with friends, that's massive. And I feel like coming away from football, if we look at societal issues about integration, being together, look at mental health. A lot of people are on their own, don't have that support network. This is what a support, a support group can provide. This is what football can provide. Yeah. So for me, I think there's so many benefits in what fandom can do for an individual, can do for our community that people don't realise. And that's what I feel like we're trying to trying to do. And ultimately, I've, I've seen the change we've made to individuals, to groups of people, and how we've helped clubs over the last six years. And I'm very, very proud of that. And what I would say to all clubs and all fan groups is, is do the same. You know, if you're at a game, smile at people that are, that are fellow AFC Wimbledon fans, because it might be their first game. You might you, you, There might be someone who's got a hidden disability that you're sitting next to, and how you act and how you are towards a fellow AFC Wimbledon fan is huge because that could be the difference between them coming back and them never going again. Well, like the other week, the other week, my my um my son experienced for the first time in his life, um, a, a complete stranger hugging him after we equalised <laughs> against Sheffield Wednesday, and I know that made his day, and he was curious about it. He didn't used to like me throwing him up in the air, but now he's a bit more engaged with football. This fella just hugging him because we'd we'd equalise and hugging me because we'd equalise, changed his change, yeah, just completely changed his his um, you know, he, he got he started to enjoy football and that just made him 
engage with it in a different level. He got, I said, that's the thing. That's the reason I go. That's one of the reasons I go because I'm there with a complete stranger and all of a sudden we're just part of that. We're part of that tribe for that moment. And it matters. So I mean, it's that, it's that tribe. I mean, listen, it's been a learning curve for me because obviously I grew up, I joined West Ham when I was 13. So I've been a player for, for 17 years and then I sort of started to work with fans. But, you know, I can, I can remember like playing for Dagenham on a Tuesday night, travelling to Morecambe. You'd come out on a Tuesday night, it's freezing cold and you're thinking, you're looking at the stands, there's 50 Dagenham fans have taken a day off. They ain't getting home till six in the morning. And I'm thinking... I don't want to even be here. What, what are you doing here? What, what are you doing here? Like, you, it's cost you money. You're having two days off of work and we're probably going to lose 1-0 to a flipping last-minute corner. But, but that, it's something you can't describe. And, like, you know, I meet a lot of people that are not in tune with football, don't understand it. And they, they often say to me, like, what's all the, what's, you know, what's all the, all the craziness about the game? And I think until you understand it and feel it, You'll never, never realise, but it's something that is so important. And I feel that the benefit and the little stories I hear. I remember one of the first meetings I ever had with this uh, this, this brilliant young woman. She um, she said, I've got two old, two up, two sons now that are, that are in their 20s. And she goes, they've moved out. I'm a single mum. I have my two kids and they were my life. I don't see them anymore, but I know at Crystal Palace, because we have a season ticket and we sit together, I know for a fact I won't hear from them. I don't know what they're doing, where they're going, but on a home match, yeah. I'll go and sit on my seat and they'll both turn up and that's our time. Yeah. And like, I know, listen, that's just a, but for me, you think no, just, those, stories wow. are, those, those stories are legion. They happen everywhere. They're different, different stories, but they're all those, those stories of connection and football being a pivot for people's lives in the, in the way that lots of things don't exist anymore for that yeah. purpose football plays a role like that so um, you know I mean in the end let's let, let's boil it down to you know because quite a lot of people who run clubs um, listen to this and um, you know I talk to a lot of people about the, vi- the, the vital importance of good fan engagement and the, and listening to people and hearing what their experiences are and trying trying to make them just any fan feel like they're connected this in the end is an economic argument right because if you don't if what you do is keep peddling your product, trying to sell your, your pro, you know, let you know, let's look at BlackBerry phones, right? The reason BlackBerry phones disappeared, the reason Nokia got bought up on the cheap, was because they decided that their type of technology was 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 it, and that this oncoming new technology of touchscreen phones um, was was wasn't wasn't going to take the world by storm. They didn't anticipate what was coming. And they disconnected from the future in many ways, and they took the wrong gamble. And lots of clubs, if you if your entire sort of marketing strategy is just retain what you've got and not actually realise that the area around you has changed and you need to embrace that, and that the people that might come that you thought might come just aren't there anymore, then you're gonna. <laughs> You know, let's be honest with you, your crowds are going to dip and eventually that's going to make you suffer on your balance sheet. So this is just good economics, right? It is it's good actually economics. good economics. It's good finance. It's good business. And let yeah. me tell you, I think one of my biggest issues with football, and it's the game that I love and everything I have is because of it, there is too much short-termism in the game. That No one thinks about that mid or long-term gain. And when you're talking about your football fans, 
Owners, players, staff come and go. The fans are always going to be there. So if there's anyone that you can have a long-term strategy or plan with, it has to be your fans. It has to be your local community. And that always surprises me because they're not going anywhere. They are not going anywhere. And the area in which you live may be changing. So in 10 years, your fan base will look different. What are you doing about that today? Because if you don't do it today, you're not going to be able to change what your stadium looks like in 10 years. So there's a massive, for me, that is a massive factor. But I just think some clubs, to be honest, don't do it with a personal touch. There's no attention to detail. And, 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 and sometimes it can be quite lazy. I mean, I speak to a lot of clubs and they say to me, our marketing's unbelievable, our kit launch, our stuff on our website, our Twitter. And one of the things I say is, so do your local community who live around this stadium, do they follow your Twitter? No, well, not sure. Well, if they don't, you could have the best product that you're selling on your Twitter or your website. Yeah. If no one is accessing that or don't, don't follow it, they're never going to see it. Yeah. Actually, for me, it's about that personal relationship as well. I speak to a lot of the underrepresented communities in this country because it's my job. And a lot of them literally describe these stadiums as almost like spaceships that come alive on a Saturday. Like this big thing's just here yeah. that we drive past. And on the weekend, all these people arrive, they go in, <laughs> make a noise, and then go home. It's like, I wonder what happens in there. Yeah. <laughs> and for some, you know what? For some, it's just about quashing that curiosity. Have a stadium tour, have a match day experience. For me, I would if I worked at any club specifically, I would make it my mission to make sure that everyone on the two-mile radius, whether they like it or not. I'd make it mandatory that they have to watch an AFC Wimbledon the Sunderland the Plymouth game, regardless. Like, if you buy a house here, that's a requirement. You can't, you, can't, you can't live here until you watch one home game. That is it. Because for me, I think, listen, it's the modern-day place of worship, isn't it? You know, 20, 30 years ago, churches, you know, that would bring everyone together. They still do, but, but nowhere near in which the numbers that football do. So football, for me, as an opportunity because it brings people together – such numbers every single weekend there is a massive opportunity there for me it's just about some of the clubs do some amazing work and i don't think they shout about it enough but my challenge to everyone is is be creative about what you do but actually use your your fan base as one of the key resources in what you do moving forward because again this long-term project they're not going anywhere you know so for me, it's about building that relationship. And there's nothing wrong with honesty. I get the impression that sometimes you put a fan and a staff member of a club in a room, it's all right to disagree. But if we're honest about it, and sometimes you don't agree with things, that's actually fine. We don't live in a world where everyone's like, yeah, we should do this, we should do that. You do that wrong, you do that right. That's right, I disagree with that. It's never going to happen. But I think it, if you're both talking about a club that one you're employed by and one that you support, that's that common thing. And I think that should always be the element of, okay, all right, well, we'll agree to disagree, but it's all about the club. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Fan Engagement Pod. Don't forget, we've got nearly 70 episodes available with more to come. We cover everything you could hope to cover in fan engagement, including strategy, fan experience and the front end. We speak with CEOs, club chairs, public relations, communications and marketing experts, activists, policing experts, governing bodies, publishers and more. 
Listen via your favourite podcast app, search Fan Engagement Pod, and please like, subscribe and share. It really does help our visibility in a crowded podcast world. And don't forget to go to fanengagement.net to find out more about our work. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 ye